And welcome back, everybody, to the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com, your premier free resource for all things Ohio State. Uh, we are recording this show here on the afternoon of Friday, May 12th. Uh, I am your intrepid host, Matt Brown. I am the one of the college league managers for SB Nation. I am the managing editor of LGHL and the author of the upcoming book. Uh, it'll be out in about a month now. What if a closer look at college football's great questions? I am joined today, uh, as always, by my friend, my my colleague, my co-writer for Land Grant, uh, Mr. Colton Denning. Colton. What's good, my friend? Matt, I'm doing excellent. It is Friday afternoon and can't wait to get to the weekend and break down some various topics on today's Hangout in the Holy Land. Yeah, I I'm I'm pretty excited too. It's been a it's been a stranger week for me, right? So like the um we're pretty significantly into the dregs of the college football offseason at this point. Now that the NFL draft is behind us. Uh, the major recruiting camps don't really start for uh, a couple more weeks. There's usually not a ton of recruiting news in May, early June. Coaches go on vacations around this time. I actually spent the last couple of days doing something completely different. Um, do you watch the show American Ninja Warrior? Or are you aware of it by chance? I haven't watched it, but I'm aware of what it is. It's bananas. So they were they were broadcasting a like a a, a, a competition, like a tryout in Cleveland, and uh, I, I went with SB Nation and, and did a little bit of social digital work there. See it up close. Nothing will make you feel more fat than being around like that kind of athleticism. You know, people who are like scaling these twelve foot walls and you know flying around everything by their ankles. And I'm sitting there eating like a you know like a Polish boy, like one of those like Cleveland brats with like the French fries on it. Like wow, like that that looks impressive. I'm going to get winded walking back to my hotel. Um, but I think that that airs on TV in about a month. And if you guys haven't watched it, this isn't me just like plugging in this because this isn't like an Espionation affiliated program. I almost never watch television outside of live sports. Uh, it really is pretty cool. Um, if you know, and, and you get to watch people fall down into the water head first. So like it's all, all, all of those here are good things. You know, it's it's good that we get a chance to, to stretch out, try something different here in the off season. And I got a couple of things I want to talk to you about that aren't specifically tied to a like major news event. Because in terms of like actual hard and fast Ohio State news, like maybe I missed something when I was in Cleveland, but I feel like the biggest thing that came out was like Ohio State is thinking about maybe kind of maybe building a hockey arena. Like that's pretty far down the 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 list of things to talk about, no? Yeah, that I think that that's just kind of a, a minor factoid. It's great for the hockey team. I, I know that you have thoughts on the shot and I do too I think it's a terrible arena despite how nice it is but can the basketball team go please it'd be awesome if the basketball team had a smaller venue than that but I think it's great for the hockey program though yeah I have no idea what's gonna actually happen it's uh it's weird I feel like whispering about how the shot is bad actually has been kind of a you know, a, a thing that Ohio State fans and Ohio State reporters have kind of just whispered about. And you could get away with it when that basketball team is really good. Now the basketball team is not. People are feeling a little bit more emboldened to talk about it's really this kind of soulless cavern and isn't really good at showcasing any one sport, even though you can put almost anything in there. But, you know, it costs a gajillion dollars. It's I think it's only 20 years old. Like, I don't think it's going anywhere. We'll see if this actually happens. But like that's pretty far down the list. So I got a couple of things I want to talk to you about here first, but there's one thing that I want to start with, and it's really the most important meal of the day. 
the point, most important thing to start with, and that's breakfast. Like I, I've, I've, you know, we we talk about this kind of thing in May and June, and I saw this a little bit on Twitter over the past couple of days of people fighting about breakfast cereals. Are you are you somebody that eats breakfast cereal very often? Not anymore, but it was almost to a point for a couple of years where I was doing it every day, so I'm very familiar with it. Okay, yeah, it, it's it's something that like I didn't buy very much as a single person. But when you have a, a toddler in the house, that be, you know, like you, regular people have like their basic food pyramid, right? Like, okay, you got your grains, you got your vegetables, you got your fruit, and then it, you know, realistically, because we're Americans, you probably have the frozen pizza and your things that come in boxes, and, and you know, maybe it's a little bit out of line. If you have somebody in your household who's under three, the, one of the foundational pyramids, and don't come in here and like talk, you know, get in my mentions about how your kid is so much better about this, but is, all the children are the same. That, that like breakfast cereals, puffs, some other kind of like prepackaged grain finger food item becomes like the base of that child's entire diet. So that it's, you know, granola and, and cereals have, have come back into our household. And, you know, I start eating them a little bit. We have them at the, at the Vox office. I'm wondering, uh, despite what the internet is saying, what, what is your go-to cereal? What, what, what is the goat cereal? For me, it's Rice Krispies treats. It's not treats, not, not Krispies, like the treats. Okay, do they still make? Yes, they do. They they're not easy to find. I think some WalMarts have them. I've never found them at a Safeway. I don't know if people out in Washington D.C. or Ohio have Safeways. That may just be like a local regional grocery store out here. But Rice Krispies treats. A big fan of Rice Krispies as well. And something Alexis Chass and one of the other land grant contributors mentioned in our Slack, Raisin Bran. I know it, it kind of gets shit on a lot by people, but Raisin Bran is good, even without the sugar. And if you do add a little bit of sugar with it, uh, definitely a fan of it for breakfast. The, the sugar thing, I think, is really the trickiest part of the whole operation. Like when, like when you're a little kid, like did your parents love you enough to give you like the super sweet cereals when you were a kid? Because mine did not. No, but they always let me put the sugar on it. And if I asked for Lucky Charms every once in a while, I would get it. But maybe, maybe I'm being wrong though because i used to eat cinnamon toast crunch i used to eat french toast crunch yeah. uh, honeycomb all that good stuff captain crunch every once in a while so yeah i guess they really did let me get away with anything <laughs> when it came when it came to breakfast cereals yeah yeah man like cinnamon toast i mean cinnamon toast crunch even as a 30 year old because we get that in the office and I, I might be the only person uh that eats it occasionally because the vox people are pretty health conscious like, it tastes really good, but when you get older, like, one, you realize, like, wow, I, I can't actually eat this for breakfast because it turns the milk into, like, something out of a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon where it becomes, like, just, like, syrup. And it makes it can make you a little bit a little bit sick. Like, like you know, like the um, like the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup cereal. Like, that's a delicious dessert. But the idea that people have that for breakfast and, like, think that that's an okay breakfast food, like, might as well just eat cake. And trying to find the happy medium between something that's sweet enough that's still going to taste good but not so sweet that it's like actually candy is tricky. And then like now that, you know, cause I'm older and I'm getting fat and everything. And actually I'm looking at like the, the nutritional facts on these things. Like a lot of cereals that you think are like kind of healthy, low key still have like 30 grams of sugar in them. And like, and, and that goes for granola too. Like it's, it's, it's tricky. Raisin bran I think would be close to being up there. Cause it's not, it's not overwhelmingly desserty, but 
It's, I mean, it, it's, it's not it's, bland it's, either. It's not bland. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I don't really like Wheaties. Like I, I know that that Wheaties will, will purportedly turn you into an elite athlete, but it is kind of, it is kind of bland. If you're, if you're gonna have that, you might. I mean, I'd rather have a bagel. You talked about cinnamon toast crunch. One of my other favorites too was waffle crisp. I ate so much goddamn waffle crisp that it was one of those cereals. And this is another thing you got to look out for. And this is how uh, Captain Crunch is too: is that if you eat enough of it, the roof of your mouth gets absolutely torn up so you gotta wait like three minutes before you can even eat the cereal (laughs) so it gets a little bit soggy but it's like cinnamon toast crunch where the end result is just like some sort of milk syrup mixture so i I do love the cereals but i haven't had cereal for breakfast in a a while probably about a year waffle i mean waffle crisp is delicious but one the roof of the mouth problem is severe it's the problem with 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 captain crunch too that shit hurts man good no, yeah, but you will be literally bleeding. It's 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 like almost as if you're having warheads in a bowl, and like chewing on that for your breakfast cereal. Like the inside of your mouth is going to be the same situation. And the other low key problem with waffle crisp is that it really freaking smells like waffles. So if you like leave that box open, or if, if you know if you have it on the counter or something, like your kitchen is going to smell like syrup. And maybe that's cool. Maybe that's less cool. Um, most cereals are good. I, 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 Honey Bunches of Oats, I think, hits like that, that sweet spot for me between uh, not bland and not actually tasting like candy. Um, but, I, it's, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm eating it less and less. More it's kind of like you know picking up the leftovers here on, on, my, on my kid's tray in the morning because I hate seeing food being wasted. Uh, that and like the oatmeal squares, they're pretty solid. The, oh, the one cereal that everyone likes that I don't is Lucky Charms. I, th- I think that's such trash. I am more inclined to agree with that now than I was like four or five years ago because the only real good thing about Lucky Charms is the marshmallows. You know, the, the other pieces are just – it doesn't seem like they have a good ratio of marshmallow to whatever the hell those other pieces are. And you just end up just wanting to eat the marshmallows. So I, I think Lucky Charms is a bit – overrated but if if you had to pick your one breakfast go-to not even just cereal what, what is it at this point you know if if i'm working at the box office my breakfast is usually a bagel with cream cheese like we, they have like the whole wheat bagels that are uh, i guess marginally more healthy but if i'm working from home at this point i often just have a protein shake and then whatever you know my kids leftovers are um which is usually some kind of dry cereal which is not especially healthy um or, you know, a little bit of dried fruit. I don't, uh, my, our mornings are so hectic trying to, to, you know, to get the kid ready and then like get to the, you know, dr- drive, get 30 minutes on the bus to get to the daycare and then get back to wherever I'm working. I don't have time to like sit down and make it a production. What, what's, what's your, what's your move? I don't know how healthy this is, but at least four days a week, maybe five. And then sometimes all seven days a week, I go four eggs and four pieces of bacon. And it is a very aggressive way to start the day. And then maybe an apple, in an orange. So I, I really like to kick it up with breakfast. I don't like to fuck around when it comes to starting the day off with my food. That That is, that's an intense breakfast. But like you know? at some point, usually on like a Friday like today, I just had an apple and an orange. Always a green apple though. Red apples are absolutely trash. Green apples all the way. But there's some point where it's like, okay, I've had way too much cholesterol this week. So, and the, today was one of those days. Like, I gotta, I gotta cut back on it. The, the, that it really is the worst thing about easing into your your late twenties, your mid twenties, late twenties, early thirties for me. Your metabolism slows down, man. You can't just plow through everything, you know, eating everything like you want to. You know, if you're gonna eat Culver's, 
I'm going to feel it the next day instead of like the next hour. And it only gets worse. See, for me though, I'm like 165 pounds still. So I'm, I'm living, I'm living the dream right now. And all that cholesterol, like I go to the gym five or six days a week. So I feel like it's balanced out, but on the subject of cholesterol, I feel like this podcast is the cholesterol of Ohio State podcast, which is a good and a bad thing. If you, if it, it tastes good, but if you listen to it enough, it will give you a heart attack. That is fact. You should tweet us, by the way, your your go-to breakfast or your particular breakfast cereal hot take. Like Charm's Trash, Honey Bunches of Oats, Oatmeal Squares, Raisin Bran, uh, like the spot, they're good. I think that's the conclusion that we are um, that we're getting to here. Let's 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 pivot. You know, there's there, there's not going to be some kind of really uh, polished segue here because you know you're you're listening to our podcast. Uh, there are there are two Ohio State related things that I would like to talk about here a little bit, and we're gonna over the course of this off season, I think we are going to to drill down the wide receivers race and the backup quarterback race and and the secondary race, those position battles at infinitum, and they're important. You know those those are highly visible positions. Uh, they are positions especially for wide receiver that struggled a little bit. There's there's a lot of different ways that, that those battles could go, but you know, and we're gonna we're gonna you know we're gonna talk about that in this podcast, and we're gonna write about it over the next couple of months here. I'd like to look at some of these position battles or people we want to focus on for next year in a slightly different way. Um, I read the the Reddit College Football uh, you know subreddit RCFB sometimes. the The comments aren't always great, but it, it does do a really good job, I think, of one surfacing new stories that I might have missed, uh, especially for smaller schools. Um, and I, I think that there are some good broad discussion topics. And one that, that somebody had posted on there recently was who is going to be the most important person there on your team this year that's not going to put up big counting stats? And, and right off the bat, I think that that would eliminate most offensive skill position players, right? Like, you know, Mike Weber is going to be very important for Ohio State next year, but Mike Weber is probably going to rush for 1,000 yards again if he's healthy. And if he isn't, his backup is going to be similarly successful there as well. Obviously, JT Barrett's very successful, but he's, I mean, very important. He's going, but he's, he's like, he's the epitome of, of counting stats, right? I'm, I have a couple of, of names that I think are going to be very important that aren't necessarily going to put up a lot of statistics that you're going to have on your fantasy team or even on ESPN.com. But before I dig into it, who do you think are going to be some really important Buckeyes that aren't going to, you know, have 80 tackles or, you know, catch for 600 yards or, or people that are going to produce statistical, uh, you know, rankings that, that will make people say, wow. The easy answer would be one of the guys on the offensive line, especially whoever ends up taking that right guard spot, whether it's, Demetrius Knox, Malcolm Pridgen, or Matthew Burrell. And then you can even look at a guy like Isaiah Prince, who, of course, had his noted struggles last season, especially at the end of the year. But I think that Billy Price moving over from right guard to center in in place of Pat Elfline is going to be the most important player on that offensive line. And they really need a bounce-back season, and I, I don't think it's a given that Price just comes in and, and he's an all-world player. I think it's, you know, very likely since he's very good. But with the offensive line looking to make that next step into being a valuable unit on the team and an, and an important unit on the team in this new offense, that's kind of going to fall on his shoulders as the center and as the most senior guy on the team to kind of 
resurge that offensive line and make them into what they were two or three seasons ago. He's probably the most important non-counting stats player, at least on the offense. I, I, I think that's pretty smart. The offensive line is is the uh, the first place I think that you want to you, you jump to here. I, I like your your thinking with Prince. I, I'm, I'm willing to give him more of the benefit of the doubt given he's already been sick. I mean, not Prince, excuse me, Price. I, I would go Isaiah Prince. You know, I, I think last year showed that even though you might have really – and uh, very highly talented, productive individual members of the offensive line. The unit as a whole is really only as strong as its weakest member. Isaiah Prince is a good tackle. He was, you know, a, a solid four-star recruit. And went to school really just down the road here from from where I live. Uh, he's an Eleanor Roosevelt guy at a green belt. It's like three miles away here from from my house in, in Maryland, uh, or my apartment rather. Uh, near top 100 prospect and somebody who I probably pressed into service a little bit too early. Uh, I wrote I wrote about this earlier in the week. Ohio State whiffed on a couple of offensive line recruits in 2015, or players have simply just not developed. And between that and uh, and some injuries, that really really damaged the depth of Ohio State's line. That's why Michael Jordan had to had to start and play the whole year. And that's why Prince, who I think might have benefited from splitting time. Or, or, or getting a chance to step away as he was struggling later in the year, he kind of by necessity had to step in. And and, Ohio, and Urban Meyer said all the right things about Prince, and, and, and he definitely seems to have the confidence of the coaching staff. He's a big dude um, and, you know, was just a little bit green, I think. And how well he develops is going to say a lot about the ceiling of this offensive line over there on on uh, at, at right tackle. Is, does, he, does he keep that job? That's that, That's probable. But if he struggles again, that might mean another true freshman has to play, uh, or or somebody else that's that's similarly inexperienced, maybe a redshirt freshman. Um, the the depth of that unit and the the ability to to pass protect, which was an issue a little bit last year, is going to come down, I think, in large part to him. So so certainly that would be an important part uh, to uh, to look at important players who aren't going to put up a bunch of stats. Like I don't think either of us off the top of our head could tell you about pancakes or individual offensive line stats. Does, does anybody else jump out to you? I think you bring up a good point about how even if the rest of the line is very good, all it takes is one weak, weak link. And I think that we saw that on display in the Penn State game with Isaiah Prince. And if you look at some of Ohio State's opponents this season, you know, Michigan, we don't really know who is going to step up and get some of those more outside rusher edge positions locked down for them. It'll probably be a mix of a lot of the talented players they've signed in place of a guy like Taco Charlton, but you know those guys are going to be there. You know that Michigan State, despite their struggles, they always seem to have a defensive end or two that can cause a lot of havoc. Same with Penn State, and then you look at Oklahoma and that early season game against then, Ogbania Okoronkwo, their outside pass rusher is a guy that can change a game by himself, so to your point, even though the rest of the line may be good, it is probably very imperative at that spot that Isaiah Prince or whoever lock that down because Ohio State is going to face a lot of talented edge rushers. But on the subject of you know another player or position group that is going to make a huge difference, I think it's whoever wins the job at punter. Oh, that far. has been <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's something that I know we've talked about on this podcast almost ad nauseum, and I'm I'm sure some people are sick of hearing about it, but with what Cameron Johnston did for them in four seasons, the way he flipped field position and really 
was a major contributor in some of their big time wins over the last three years. I think that unless one of these guys steps up and is just all world like he was, that that's something that people are going to notice that isn't a part of the Ohio State program, at least for next year, because it was a huge part. And I think that whether it's Drew Chrisman or Jake Metzer, the kid who just transferred from Penn State that's going to walk on, it is very imperative that Ohio State figure that out and that one of those guys plays really well because you don't like to punt, but I know that Urban Meyer values having that club in his bag. And it remains to be seen whether Ohio State has that. And they had probably the second best behind what Alabama had in terms of the punting game. But if that takes a huge drop-off, then that's where it becomes important for the offense to reach the 2014 levels of consistency where they were at. Because if they're as inconsistent as they were in 2015 or even last year, then I think it's going to really show in the field position. You took the words right out of my mouth. And uh, I I would give the edge to Chrisman. Uh, and not just because uh, I think he's the only Mormon on on Ohio State's team, and so of course I, I have a little bit of a soft spot for him. But the Ohio State's everything that Ohio State does, from from how aggressive they can be in their defensive play calling, to the pressure that's on their offense, comes down to their ability to consistently win the field position battle and flip the field. And that's something that just about every elite team in college football, even ones that don't punt very often, are able to do. Uh, the Buckeyes have lost a, a really significant weapon in, in, in Cam. And if even if Ohio State's only at like 75% of what they were at before, which is, you know, it's entirely possible given that you're looking at like a, a, a walk-on and like a sophomore uh, at, at that position, that changes how aggressive you can be in dialing up pass rushes. It changes, you know, the, the efficiency requirements here on, on your offense and, and what, the, what, what the burden that both sides of the ball have, have, have to face. Uh, it's really important that the Buckeyes are able to continually have excellence in the punting game. Um, and nobody really gets especially enamored from punting stats because, uh, you know, a lot of it doesn't show up in just like net yardage or anything. So it seems, seems that we're, we're, on the, we're on the right track here. It leaves you a margin for error, yeah. like you're saying, in both offense and defense. And that's what they've had since Johnston was a part of the program. And they've been the best team in the country at flipping field position. And if that's not a part of their game this season, then whether it's the defense generating more pressure with the pass rush, continuing the turnover proficiency they had with last season's secondary, or the offense taking a huge step up in the passing game and generating more explosive plays, that's going to have to even out. And if it doesn't, then I think it's going to be very noticeable. You brought up something that I want to talk about here a little bit more, uh, about Ohio State facing a lot of, of talented edge rushers. Uh, in, in conference play, like I, you know, one one of the really consistent facts of life, I think, w- with living in the Big Ten, the Big Ten East, is is you're facing teams that have really physical lines of scrimmage. You know, the Maryland and Rutgers talked about this a little bit right after they joined the Big Ten. That like the the biggest you know system shocks, I guess, to when they joined the conference was we're not prepared on the line of scrimmage. Uh, to to match up for the pass rushes and the defensive tackles that we face on that we face on a regular basis, and it, it, you know at first glance it looks like it's going to be another difficult year within the division, even though there's a lot of talent leaving uh, along the front. I'm I'm just curious. Let's take a step back here at a very thousand you know thousand feet perspective. 
because I think once the the Bill Connolly previews come out and we get a little bit closer to to fall camp and we have an idea about the injury situations and everyone gets to campus, we can we can have a better idea about what the pecking order might look like. But what do you think about the Big Ten East next year? Do you think it's going to be stronger uh, than it was last year? Do you see any particular program as having a lot of momentum? Like what? What, what, what are you thinking right now about how that might shake out? Gosh, I think it's going to be weaker. And I, I think that for at least the early part of the season, it's going to be a two-team race with Ohio State and Penn State. And just looking at those other two teams, you talked about momentum. Michigan State has momentum, but I, but I think in a bad way, not only with the stuff that we saw Last season, it really worries me that it's that it wasn't just one year like what 2011, I think it was, or 2012, where they kind of dipped off, but then they shot back up. I don't think this is a one-year thing with them, and I think a lot of those talented players and even the lower star guys that they have, I don't know if that's especially on their defense, if that's if players like that are going to step up this year for them. So very interested to see if they're able to take another step up. But between what we saw last year and some of the stuff going on outside of football around that program this offseason, Michigan State doesn't seem like they're in a very good place. And then with Michigan, I think at least for the early part of the season, you're going to see some of those growing pains from losing, you know, that amount of players that they lost and not only the amount, but just the amount of talented guys that they lost as well. But, you know, by the time that they play Ohio state, those kids aren't going to be freshmen and sophomores. Those are going to be seasoned guys that are used to the battles. So by the time they get to the end of the season, I think that Michigan will be, you know, right there with Ohio state and Penn state, but it's just a matter of how much they're able to improve early on in the season. It, 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 I don't think you have to go out on a limb to be skeptical of where Michigan State's going. You know, it, it, one of the, the things that we studied a lot at SBNation.com for the past couple of years is, is the relationship between recruiting success and win-loss performance against teams that have similar or greater levels of recruiting success. And, and the relationship which, you know, between recruiting stars and wins is close to linear. You know, the more stars you get, the more likely you are to win games. And teams that have more stars tend to, you know, beat teams that have fewer stars. And there's uh, there have been a couple of uh, exceptions to that over the past couple of seasons. Kansas State is a very famous one, the program that never gets elite talent and is able to, uh, you know, be competitive. Utah has been an exception. And Michigan State has been perhaps the biggest one. And was even starting to enjoy an uptick in recruiting success. And now... You know, a, a lot of those bigger names are graduated or gone, um, and or and you know uh, some of the other ones are, are you're going to have questions about whether they're going to be able to be on the team or not. There's some suspensions, and uh, there's a, a huge momentum has, has shifted away. And you have to think, you know, is this the regression to the mean that we've you know thought was 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 possible here over the last couple of seasons? They don't really have a quarterback right now. They're losing their best defensive player. Their 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 genius defensive coordinator has now been gone for a couple of years. And there's guys to like. I like Justin Lane. I like Donnie Corley. I like L.J. Scott. There's there, there's good offense skill position talent. But you know, I'm not saying like Michigan State's going to you know go four and eight or something. But I I think they're pretty clearly behind the top three teams in this division. And I I think I'd probably have them at fifth because. Uh, there's one team that I'm I'm ready. I think I'm ready to go. I'm ready to predict is going to make a big leap, and it might make me look stupid. I'm here for Maryland. 
You with me? All right, let's let's hear it. Okay, so here, here's, the case. here's here is what I like about Maryland. Maryland has very quietly accumulated a, a very solid amount of offensive line and defensive line talent uh, over the past couple of classes. And we haven't seen it as much because very young. You know, they got five star offensive lineman Damian Prince, who is who, who has hasn't played a whole lot. Uh, you've got a, a, a solid four-star running back in um, Bowlware and Prince uh, clean on the, along the defensive line. Um, Terrence Davis, you know, a very high four-star guy on the offensive line. I mean, they're they're bringing in a, a really solid recruiting class for 2017. Uh, again, with most of these players, the, the the top players concentrated along those two areas. So now we're coming into a year where Maryland's going to be able to bring in juniors and redshirt sophomores and guys who are now not you know. You know, solid four-star, you know, high Big Ten caliber guys, but now have a couple of years of seasoning. And I don't think every single one of them is necessarily going to pan out um, and, and, and become like an all Big Ten, you know, kind of kind of team. But, you know, it's, it's not going to be a unit where you can just kind of, you know, push push people to a side. So you've got all of those. You have this top 20 recruiting class coming in. Um, this year, including some guys that are, are probably going to play immediately, especially in the secondary. Alex Woods is probably a guy that's going to be in the rotation immediately. Deion Jones, a four-star uh, defensive back, is, is should should be in that mix relatively early. Anthony McFarland, you know, at the Matha just down the street from me, somebody who's probably going to be playing early. The only question for Maryland, I think, is if they have a quarterback. And I'm willing to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because uh, their coaching staff, which is a very experienced outside of head coach, outside of DJ Durkin, uh, managed to take the team that threw the most interceptions out of like any power conference team last year and, and turn it into something that resembling efficiency. So, you know, if they can get average quarterback play, I think they've got the line. I think they've got the wide receivers. I think they have the defensive line to overcome deficiencies at linebacker and some youth in the back and be a, a seven win, maybe more team for next year. I like them at fourth. I think they finish ahead of Michigan State. I agree with you on principle, and I liked what I saw from Maryland last season. I think in DJ Durkin's first year, they played really well. And overall, the program's trajectory, I like it. But just looking at their schedule, that's where I disagree a little bit because they start the season at Texas. I'm assuming that Texas is going to win that game. I don't think Maryland has the horses to go there and beat them. And UCF, we saw last season in Scott Frost's first year, was much improved. I think that that'll be a game, and I wouldn't be surprised at all to see UCF beat them. They also have to go on the road at Minnesota in P.J. Flex's first season there, at Ohio State, at Wisconsin, at Michigan State, and then they close the season with Penn State, and, of course, they still have to play Michigan. So I think that the quarterback thing is what gives me pause. If they find a solid quarterback who can improve that offense and – kind of give them a little bit of consistency because I think the explosive plays will be there, especially through the ground. Then maybe I'll I'll differ on that, but just schedule alone. I think that there's at least four or five losses on there and I don't trust them enough to win 50, 50 toss up games. But I do think that the program as a whole is, is on an upward swing. Okay. So if if, if we'll, we'll wrap this up on this then right now, you know, mid May, Give me your Big Ten East power rankings. I'm more confident than I think others are that Ohio State is a better team than Penn State, and I think it's by a comfortable margin, not by a lot, but I do think that they are, at least in my mind, clearly a better overall team. So I'll go Ohio State, Penn State, 
with Michigan trailing right behind them. And ugh, I, I don't like really any of these other teams in this division, to be quite honest with you. But I'll, I'll go with Indiana at four, Maryland, Michigan State, and Rutgers. Okay. All right. I want to go a little bit different. Uh, I'm going to go Penn State one, and I think the difference between them and Ohio State is very slim. By the end of the season, there's a you know I, I I might be willing to bet more money on Ohio State, but Penn State is returning so much on offense. Their coaching staff has continuity. I think it's fair to give them the benefit of the doubt. Their their non-conference schedule is also, for what it's worth, is is easier than uh, Ohio State's is. I think. Uh, so I'll go Penn State one, Ohio State very very uh, close behind two, Michigan three. Give me Maryland four. Michigan State 5. No, I'm sorry. Indiana 5. Michigan State 6. Rutger 7. That Rutgers job, man. Woof. Yeah, I think Chris Ash was right in taking that job. But the way that things have played out there, especially with Drew Maringer leaving, I I don't really like anything about them. And I was more bullish on them before the start of last season. But now after what we saw in 2016 and kind of some of the coordinator hires they've made, I'm out on everything Rutger. (laughs) You know, I will say this. Rutgers lacrosse has uh, very quietly become a very solid program. You know, add some great depth to the Big Ten Conference. Bully for Rutgers. Now they have two sports that they're solid at. But uh, I think we're a ways away from bowl eligible Rutgers or even flirting with bowl eligibility Rutgers. So we'll we'll, we'll wrap up here on that then. You can, of course, follow our blog at at LandGrant33. You can follow me at MattSBN. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. Uh, Our podcast, of course, is on iTunes. It's on SoundCloud. It's on our website. You know, leave us a review, leave us some feedback. If you've got a longer question you want us to explore, matt.brown at sbnation.com is my email address. If you shoot me an email uh, with a question, we'll talk about it on the air. Colton, you got anything you want to you you let, let these people get out here with? Yeah, if you're interested in going to the SoundCloud page, go to soundcloud.com slash landgrantholyland, and that's where you can find us there. And uh, I'm interested to hear people's serial takes and if anybody disagrees with us. Yes, send, send, send us your serial thoughts. In the meantime, uh, I, might, I might make myself a little bit of a bowl here myself before everybody else gets home. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Lucky Charms is trash. And go Bucks. <laughs>